I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be in verses 1 through 21. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, who, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Word of God. You remember... Back in the days when Brett Kavanaugh was a big issue? So long ago, wasn't it? Everybody was upset. Oh, he's a bad guy. He's a good guy. We're all screaming and hollering at each other. And a number of people that walked up to me and said, I am so mad over what's going on. Then came along Hurricane Michael. And uh, you've seen the pictures of Mexico City. Uh, uh, Panama City, absolute devastation. And so there, there was great roar and hubbub over that so many days ago. There are actually people upset over the hurricane, upset over Kavanaugh, upset over the hurricane. And then, and then we had another major event so many days ago, I, I think it was yesterday, uh, Andrew Brunson, you guys are aware of him, right? The guy, the pastor that was over in Turkey and being held in prison. And now everybody was upset that he's being held. And now they're upset that he's been released. 
Uh, so, you know, there are people like, oh, I've, who's trying to take credit for it? All this is going on. And, and we, we live in such a fast-paced world. Things are coming at us at 150 miles an hour. And everybody's upset. Everybody's mad all the time. And it just keeps on getting worse and worse and worse. And it's like, just about the time you think we've had a dark hour, it gets darker. And the darker it gets, the more upset we get. Now, living in that climate as believers, we, we can engage in all that anger. We can engage in all of that frustration. Or we can try and be the godly people that we're called to be. But as we try to be the godly people we're called to be, we can end up feeling a little bit helpless, can't we? I mean, we're just watching all this happen. You can sit there and go, what in the world is going on? I wish I could do something. I've got good news for you, brothers and sisters. The church has power. The church has power. Well, power to do what? Listen to me carefully. Power to minister power to minister the gospel. I hope to be able to show you that today. But even as I show that to you, the question that you're going to have to answer on a personal basis, is once you realize the power that we have collectively, the church, what are you going to do with the power? What will you do with it? Now, the sermon that we have today, right out of Paul's prayer, is going to tell us what to do with it. The question is whether or not we're going to want, want to walk that path. So our title is called Power. This is part six in our uh, prayers, uh, pray without ceasing, the prayers of Paul. And, and what we're going to see is we're going to see this power that the church has rolled out in three steps. So we will see the ministry declared in verses one through six. We will see the ministry defined in verses seven through 13. And then we will see the ministry deployed in 14 through 21. You know, pastors, they love that alliteration, so... That's how the passage is broken up. So let's take a look at this ministry declared, okay? What is the ministry? Paul's going to tell us. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 starts out for this reason. Now, that refers back to uh, the end of chapter 2. It really refers back to uh, the, the entire content of chapter 2. Paul starts out Ephesians with a description of God, kind of rolls into a description of God and Christ and, and how they're related. And in chapter 2, he talks about the church and us and how we are united with Christ and Christ is united with God. And so the, the chapter 2 is all about union with Christ. If you were looking for a uh, key verse in chapter 2, it would be verse 22. In him, you also, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. The, this word together is important. And Paul writes this, and he makes it clear, as he is a prisoner. We're not sure where he's a prisoner in, uh, maybe Philippi, maybe Rome. It's not really important. It depends on when you think this book was written. Uh, but Paul's not complaining about being a prisoner. He sees that as his service to the Spirit for being a minister to the gospel. And as he's gone, worked through this, as he's pondered the Ephesian church, uh, unity with Christ, and what the church is, how the church fits into that, he's received a revelation. The Spirit has spoken to him, and he has a revelation into the mystery of Christ. 
And the revelation is this, that the Jews and the Gentiles are heirs. They are fellow heirs. Now, this is significant because as much division and uh, animosity as we have today, it, it was just the same back then. And there was animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, it, it wasn't a huge thing on behalf of the Gentiles. Some of the Gentiles didn't really know much about the Jews and so on and so forth. But the Jews thought they were set apart. They thought that they were a special people. Now, there's enough truth to that that it allowed them to embrace it. Uh, unfortunately, by the time we got to the first century, they felt they were superior than everyone else. They thought the Gentiles were dogs. They thought they were less than human. And really, what they thought was that they were unworthy of the blessings of God. You could only receive a blessing from God if you were Jewish. You could be Gentile and become Jewish, but you couldn't be Gentile and be blessed by God. So, when Paul says that the Jews and the Gentiles are joint heirs, this is a challenge. And it really is a challenge to both groups because they hate each other. You ever worried about groups of people that don't like you? Have you ever hated somebody for who they are? Paul says, Jews and Gentiles if they believe in Jesus Christ, are brothers and sisters. They're from the same family. They are joint heirs of the kingdom of God. This is a huge challenge, and I want you to think about that in terms of what's going on around us today. Because we don't have Jews and Gentiles. We have saved and lost. We have saved and lost. And the people that we're supposed to reach out to in love can become our brothers and sisters. And we have to view the gospel in that context. As we preach the gospel, we're inviting them to become heirs. Our job is not to push them away. Our job is to invite us in. So they are partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So the ministry that's being declared, the ministry being described here, is the gospel. And Paul claims that through that gospel, there is union with Christ. And if we understand union with Christ, those who believe in Christ are united to him. We are one with him. Well, then we are one with each other as well. Union with Christ, union with each other. Now, again, as we look at the cultural situation back then and try to glean some teaching out of it, Paul is saying these mortal enemies can become one. These people who are opposed to each other can become one. It happens in Christ through the gospel. So as we look at all the division around us, as we look at all the consternation and all the anger that's flowing up and how fast everything is going, we can be one with other people through the gospel in Christ. It's our mission field. We've talked about it before. It's a challenge that Paul puts in front of them. But it's an incredible challenge to an incredible blessing. Because the ministry that he's talking about is a new life. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of loving. It's a new way of living, a new family, all through union in him. And it requires a change in perception on behalf of both Jews 
and Gentiles. They've got to be able to come together. The same challenge for us. So there's the ministry declared. Now, Paul doesn't just put it out there and say, this is the ministry. He moves on and he defines it starting in verse 7. Number one, it's a work of God, given by grace, by his power. So God is the one who's moving. God is the one who's changing. God is the one who is empowering. And Paul, in verse 8, we find out, has been charged to preach to the Gentiles. Now, I love this. Because, you know, on one level, you see that God has this incredible sense of humor. He takes Paul, the Jew of Jews, the one who sits under Gamaliel, uh, the one who is so influential in the Sanhedrin, the one who is actually trying to hunt down Gentile, uh, 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 believers and persecute them, and he sends him to the Gentiles. Who does he send to the Jews? Peter the fisherman. Peter from Galilee. Peter from that area that gets no respect from the sophisticated people down in Jerusalem. So there, there's a little bit of irony there, maybe a little bit of humor, but isn't it so like God to challenge and to stretch? So Paul doesn't get to walk into the Sanhedrin and have everybody go, that's Paul. You know, he's quite a theologian. Sends for the Gentiles. They don't even know what theology is. Peter walks into the Sanhedrin. Peter walks into a Jewish culture and begins speaking the truth of God. And God works through both of them supernaturally, not because of who they are, clearly, but because of who God is. So Paul has been charged to take this gospel to the Gentiles, really to the last people that Paul would want to have been preaching to. So he's stretching Paul. He's challenging him. And so, what does he want to preach to them? Well, the gospel. Uh, and he says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, I love that, and I'd, I'd like to be able to do that for you. I'd like to say, I'd like to declare the unsearchable riches of Christ to you. Amen. Let's go home. What are the unsearchable riches of Christ? It sounds really deep. It sounds profound. But... Paul will explain it to us. We actually get a hint at, at how wonderful this is if we look all the way back in the book of Job, in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 9. God, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. This is bigger than we can imagine. It's more than we can comprehend. But it is marvelous. It is wonderful. It is awe-inspiring. These are eternal things. They are not worldly things, Paul is called to preach the unfathomable, inexhaustible resources available in Christ. Well, what are they? They are grace. They are power. Power to save and transform. Power to bring, listen to this, power to bring all things into unity. And we've got to stop and think about that for a second power to bring all things in unity in Christ in the body of Christ in the church see I, I, I just want you to slow down for just a second it's, it's the first indication that we see of power in the church 
Who's the church? We are. We're the church. God's calling us to unity. Now, we've heard this before. We're called us to be in union with Christ and together, okay? But we need to understand something. God has assembled this body for a reason. Now, we're not the only body in town. There are other churches around that believe in Jesus Christ. There are good churches. There are good people. But he's put us here in this building. And i got to tell you something. Every one of us is part of the church. Every one of us has a unique gift. Every one of us is uniquely crafted to be a member of this body. Now, we're talking about the gospel, ministry of the gospel, the power to preach the gospel out there, and we can't do this alone. We have to do it together. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but if you're here, if you've been coming to Warrington Bible Fellowship and you feel like you're a member of the church, then God has given you something to contribute to the overall ministry of the church. So, He's empowered us. He's enabled us. We don't all do the same thing. You know, when we talk about the gospel, you know, it's easy to just think that, well, I I don't know. I'm not very good at standing on a street corner and preaching. Maybe you're not. That's fine. Some people can do that. But we all have something to do. We all have something to contribute. So by the time we get the guy standing out there on the street corner, there have been Sunday school lessons, there have been, there have been sermons, there have been luncheons, there have been Bible studies, there have been services to each other, and, and we all play a part in that. We all have something to do. God has brought you here for a reason, and he has equipped you uniquely to be part of that ministry of the gospel out there in the community. To bring all things together in unity in him. So, he's been talking about the Gentiles, but he wants to make it clear it's not just the Gentiles he's talking about. It's for everyone. And up until the moment Paul writes this, it's been a mystery, but now it's made clear. Why Why is it made clear at this particular time in verse 10? So that through, listen, through the church... Again, that's us together through the church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God has given us, the church, the gospel so that it can be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, some of the translations say to the angels. Not a bad translation. Because we are talking about things in heavenly places. But it's not the best translation. To understand exactly what's going on here, we would have to look, take a close look at how Paul uses these two words, rulers and authorities. Paul, in his writings, uses them five times. They're in Colossians twice, they're in Ephesians twice, and they're in the book of Titus one time. And Every time Paul uses those phrases, he's talking about two things. He's talking about heavenly rulers and authorities, and earthly rulers and authorities, not necessarily good ones, generally evil ones. So when he says that the church has the power to bring wisdom and and make known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God, he's talking about the church being a witness to the lost. He's given us power. He's given you power. He has enabled you to participate with us to bring the manifold wisdom of God to the lost. The Holy Spirit, listen, 
The Holy Spirit is working in you right now. He woke you up this morning (laughs) and directed you to get your breakfast and put you in your car and brought you here because he has given you power and is working and transforming you right now for the moment that you walk out that door and become a display for the gospel to the lost community in the heavens and here on earth. Do you understand the incredible responsibility we have? That there are angels looking at us to say, what are they doing? How do they do that? Look at this great thing that God is doing down at WBF and thousands of other places this morning. Did you feel that power when you walked in here this morning? I didn't. But God says it's there. God says it's there. And he brought us here to be able to put it on display. All creation, all of creation is watching us. When I was in college, we were on campus. And when we get worked up about something, we would start chanting, the whole world is watching. We didn't realize how small that vision was. Because all creation is watching the church. What a time. What a time to be the focus of all creation. When everything is falling apart. And creation turns to us and goes, do you have the answer? We not only have the answer, brothers and sisters. We have the power. So you put all this together, the church has been given power, power to minister. I mean, we know this is true. We just need to walk in it. Power to minister, power to save, power to change, power to speak into a dark world, power to speak into a fragmented, angry, fighting, complaining, fractured, evil, dying world. We have in us the power of God to impact the people around us for all of eternity. And we find out in in, in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he, God, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now, we don't always feel bold about proclaiming the gospel, but because each one of us has a gift, because each one of us has a part, we can be bold in how we do our part. We can be bold in how we express our gift. We can be bold in the part that we contribute to the overall ministry of the gospel. And we can have the confidence that as we offer up our gift, as we offer up our participation, as we offer up our prayers, our our finances, our our encouragement, that God will imbue, imbue that with power. It's an incredible promise. So Paul says in verse 16, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says, this prison that I'm in doesn't mean anything. Don't worry about me. This is for your glory, the glory of the church, the glory of God's presence making itself known through his body. So the ministry that Paul defines and passes on to us is to be witnesses of the unity and the peace and the love of Christ to the darkest parts of the world. What we're called to do. 
how do we work that out? How do we deploy that ministry? We know what we're called to do. What does it look like? We find out in, in, in Paul's prayer. And, and I hope, as, as we've gone through this series, uh, we've worked hard to establish a context for each prayer. Uh, I mean, if we had just gone right to the prayer and gone to it, we would have missed all of this power, all of this wisdom, all of this strength, uh, the description of the church. So, so the context of the prayer is just as important as the prayer itself. Only with the prayer this time, Paul puts feet to everything that he's saying. He said, here's how you do it. Verse 14, for this reason, the church has been given the power of the gospel. So because the church has been given the power of the gospel, Paul prays. What does he pray? He, he prayed for every family in heaven and on earth. And, and it, this is families that are called by his name. This isn't that every family on heaven and earth is saved. This is that God is the father of all creation. He's created everything. He's created the, the heavens. He's created the earth. He's created each one of us. His hands were on us when we were in the womb. Uh, it, our days were ordained for us when as yet there was not one of them. Uh, he knew us from before the foundation of the earth. God owns us. He created us. He's our father. We're, we're part of his overall family. Again, not everybody's saved, but God owns everybody. So it doesn't matter whether or not you believe in him. People say, he doesn't own me. I don't believe in him. I don't think God could care less whether or not you think about being part of his family. He says, I own you. Now, that'll be made very clear to us when we stand before the Lord because those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will go into his presence. Those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will go where God tells them to go. There won't be, I'm sorry, I don't believe in you, I'm not going there. No other choices. God is Father of all creation. So God, so Paul prays for them um, that they would be ministers of the gospel, that they would understand the power of the gospel, that in verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We are strengthened in our inner being. We are enabled in our inner being. God catalyzes those things he's given us for his glory and for the participation of the church in the presentation of the gospel to the darkness. In verse 17, so that he does this so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that Christ will live inside us, so that other people, as they encounter us, as they see how the church functions, as they see how the gospel goes forward, the people will see Christ in us. And we become a display of the presence of Christ here on earth who is badly in need of redemption. And then he says that you being rooted and grounded in love, that we'll be strengthened because we are grounded in his love. Watch this in verse 18. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, I want you to watch what just happened here. As we come together, as we bring our gifts together, as we work together to minister to the outside world, God strengthens us, draws us closer to him, and blesses us so that we may know 
the indescribable love of Christ as we submit to his design for the church we draw closer to God and we receive his blessing we receive a greater love than we could ever have imagined what we deploy in this ministry is love what we receive for deploying love is love. We put that love on display. God blesses us. Well, how do we do that? We sang a little bit earlier about the living water of Christ. Christ is the, the living water, amen? And he pours it into us. You see, what Paul's saying is my job is to become a vessel of that living water. To allow it to pour through me. Now, if I'm a really efficient vessel of living water, and I stand here, and I start allowing that living water to pour for me, I could probably dampen the rug here. Amen? I mean, realistically, how much water can pour for me? But if I go over to Lois... And I say, Lois, would you stand up with me? Okay. And Lois and I begin to pour living water out of ourselves. Well, now we've got a larger stain on the rug, right? Okay. Please sit down. Thank you. But if I go over here to Scott and Leslie and say, would you join me? And Lois. Okay. And living water begins to pour from us now we got a puddle all right so you can see what's happening here the more people that join into that the more water we have have a seat brothers and sisters if we could get two or three hundred people spewing living water here in this sanctuary we would have a flood now, here's the danger. If you leave the doors shut, we're all going to drown. Okay? The doors have to open up. And if two or three hundred people are allowing living water to flow through them and out those doors and down the steps, we can flood this city with the cleansing water of Jesus Christ. We can change the environment we're in if we work together. We can have an eternal impact on the city. I can't do it on my own. And you can't do it on your own. I only, I only produce a type of living water. We need a whole ocean of living water. And it needs to come from each one of us. We can have an eternal impact on Warrington, Virginia. Who knows? Maybe the entire world. Well, I, I don't know, John. I want to be part of that. I don't know what to do. Look in your bulletin. Look into the announcements. We got stories in the park. We need 90 people for that. We got cookies for the community we'll do on Christmas Day. Start making cookies right now. If that's your gift, make all the cookies you can make. We'll need water for that. We got the coat drive. Bring a coat in. We got ministries down at the shelter. We're starting Bible studies down there next week. 
Come and help us. Come and, and minister to, to the children down at the shelter. Come and help us serve some spaghetti or some lasagna or something. We got love to be me. You know, we have a unique ministry here that nobody else in the city offers. We minister to the older special needs people. We need help on Friday night. We got CareNet Ministries going on. We got a 40th anniversary we're going to do next year where we're going to present ourselves to the community and invite them to come in. We need help with that. We got a hospitality team. We got a worship team that needs help. We need help back there on the AV. We've got the nursery. We got the children's ministry. I'm going to tell you something. You might not know what your gift is. Come and see me and we'll find out. We'll get you plugged in. Here's the simple fact of the matter. I want you to listen to this because you're going to hear it more. The fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, we can't do it on our own. We are better together. We're better together. Say it. We're better together. Oh, come on. Yeah. Well, that's a good start. That's a good start. How do we deal with Brett Kavanaugh and Hurricane Michael and and pastors that are in prison, and all this darkness in the world. We use the power that God has given the assembly, that is given to the ecclesia, that is given to the church. We work together and we demonstrate the love of God to a world that is desperate for it. And looking at us for it. We tell them about the salvation available through Jesus Christ and how they can come in and be one of us. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter where they were born. Doesn't matter what their sexual orientation was. They can be one of us. We're not exclusive brothers and sisters. We're inviting the world in. And if they won't come in, you know what? We're going to go to them. We're going to go to them. Because the church has power. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you've given us this strength, that you've given us this power, Father. We pray that you give us wisdom and discernment in how we might use it, Lord, for your glory, for your honor. Father, help us to become the church. Help to knit our hearts together. Help to knit, Father, our bodies together and our efforts together that we might portray the love of Christ to a world that is so desperate in need of hope that they will turn anywhere. Let them turn to us, Father, and help us to be that display of your presence here that can change lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.